everybody. Welcome to the final episode of the Tales of the Golden Genius podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I have a special guest for this last episode, Malden High's very own Jim Valenti. He's a longtime media and film teacher at Malden High, former photographer at ESPN Boston, and if you've ever played a sport at Malden, he's probably taken a photo of you. All right, I'm here with Jim Valenti. How's it going? It's going really well. It's uh, It's been a really good summer this year. No rain, and that's good for me, so hey, I enjoy that. Everybody loves that. Yes. So as you know, as a journalist, I come across a lot of interesting things throughout the research process, and one that stood out to me was apparently you're a huge fan of PB&Js. A peanut butter and jelly? Yeah. I, you know, I brought peanut butter and jelly to school for lunch probably for the first, I'd say, 11 years of my career, and then I switched it up and went to chicken salad. But you know what? Here's the thing with the PB&J, right? Years ago, we used to have a ski team at the high school. It was actually a club. It was an outdoor adventure ski club that Mr. Marks used to run. And I don't ski, nor do I like snow. But he convinced me to come on these trips with him because he needed chaperones. And I said, okay, well, you know, what do I do? He says, well, you can be like the den mother. I'm like, well, what does a den mother do? He says, well, you kind of just hang out in the lodge and kids can come in and put their stuff down. And when they need to take a break, he says, you know, they can eat lunch. And I said, okay, I can do that. So of course, the night before, I'm thinking, you can't just go empty handed. So I went to stop and shop and I bought maybe like eight loaves of bread four containers of jelly peanut butter and I just sat and made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all day and I must I I probably ran out in the first like two hours and that's what I became known for like oh he makes the nasty peanut butter and jelly sandwich I'm like I didn't even think there was a reason to actually hold a title like that but I did for a long time so then I had to live up to it and I'd have to bring him to school but I always had to bring more than one because there'd always be a kid going is that a peanut butter and jelly like, yeah you want a PC go on it. so yeah I'm a peanut butter and jelly guy so why the switch then it just you know it got old um, it just got old, you know, you don't and, say. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch for 12 years straight. After a while, you start looking down going, maybe I can do a little better than this. And so I did, I moved up to chicken salad, but that's a pain in the neck to have to create. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly is an old standby. Yeah. It's, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah, I always think of Kevin Garnett when I think of PB&Js. Oh really? Yeah. Cause yeah. he started that kind of trend in the NBA. That's All right. of a sudden everyone's eating them now. Exactly. Of course. Of course. So... Your passion for photography and film really shined through, obviously. How did you originally get into them? All right, so it's interesting. You, you know, you do a sports sort of podcast. Um, I'm a horrible athlete, a self-proclaimed horrible athlete. And it's not for lack of want or lack of trying. I just, I'm not a coordinated individual. Um, I didn't realize that I was left-handed in, in baseball until a mistake occurred. I actually was terrible at baseball, and I'll, I'll never forget my coach, great guy, Little League, decided to put me in, in the outfield because we were up a lot of runs, and he figured, what difference does it make, you know? And uh, he put me out in center field, and a ball got hit, of course, over my head, not like I'm going to catch or anything like that. Ran all the way to the fence, ripped the glove off my hand, picked the ball up, and fired a strike to home plate. And when and we got the kid out. It was inside the park home run, if, you know. And when I come running in, the coach is like, did you see what you just did? And I'm like, of course I did. I threw him out. He goes, no, did you see what you did? I go, no, what are you talking about? He, goes, you, 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 he hands me a ball. He goes, throw that. So I put it in my right hand. And he goes, no, no, throw it with the other hand. And I said, what? he goes, that's what you just did. And I, he goes, you're left-handed. You didn't know you were left-handed. I said, no, my mother bought me the wrong glove. She, you know, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Kid, you're eight years old, nine years old. Your mother buys you a glove, you use it. So I put it on the wrong hand. And and I was left-handed. So, but it, that that being said, I was just a terrible athlete growing up. And uh, I, I tried to play basketball. Terrible, terrible. I mean, you know, and I tried to quit. And my father said, no, you committed to the team. You got to stick it out. You know, you don't like it next year. You don't sign up. I tried soccer. Two left feet. Couldn't do it. So I always loved the idea of being part of sports. And there was absolutely no way that playing it was going to put me in a situation where I felt like I was good. Or I was doing something worthy. And I always loved the fact and, and you being a journalist as well and loving sports, I love when people 
really enjoy what they do and they do it well. And, and when you show people a picture or a video of them doing something they really enjoy and that, that people have told them that they do well, the smile that comes up on their face, the, ex the exuberation they get from seeing it, to me, that was like hitting a home run. I said, wow, if I can make someone smile and say, this is great, this, you took this, you know, I, I was just as excited as the guy who hit the home run. So at 14, my parents, well at 13, my parents bought me my first camera and, um, and I fell in love with the idea of taking pictures of sports. And I would walk from my house to the local Little League field where I had played and I was terrible. My coach was still coaching. And you know he was a great guy, and he would say, "Oh, come on the field." I'm like, no, I'm good. And I, and I would take pictures from the fence, and um, and I wasn't very good at first, obviously. But I met a guy who was a local newspaper photographer for the Medford Mercury Malden Evening News, a guy by the name of Greg Myronchuk, who would become a great mentor to me. And he would say to me, "Well, let me show you what you're doing. What are you doing here?" And he would and he would show me a few things, you know. And this was back during the film days, so you know you take pictures, and then you'd have to wait three or four days. You'd spend the money to get and you'd get them back, and you know, it was like you'd lucky if they would come out good. And the more and more he showed me, the more and more these pictures started proving themselves. They were worthy. I was like, this is great. And we kind of cut a deal. He says, look, you come down here and you take pictures like this. He says, uh, and I'll meet you here on a Friday. He says, and I'll take your film and I'll get it developed for you. He says, and I'll get your pictures in the newspaper. And, and in return, I'll teach you some new stuff. That was payment enough for me. And that's what I did. So for the first few you know, years of taking pictures, it was learning, but it was learning, taking pictures of sports, kids that I knew as little brothers, little sisters, cousins, nephew, whatever, you know, and it was great. And from there, it just blossomed. You know, um, I got to the high school level. Uh, well, I got to junior high and my, my math teacher, who was the yearbook advisor there, again, said, I heard you take pictures. She knew I was doing the Little League stuff. And so it was, it was great. When I got to high school, met my journalism teacher, Henry Salvatella, God rest his soul, great man, a former Boston Globe sports photographer and um, night shift guy. And between Greg and Henry, it was like a match made in heaven. Greg showed me the photography side. Henry taught me the hum, you know, the humility side. You know, the idea that these aren't good enough. You got to go out and take better shots. You know, you're not doing. And and he taught me how to be humble. He taught me, um, look, you can always work harder. You can always do better. Those two guys, you know, without those two guys, I, I wouldn't have probably stuck with photography. I always loved it, but they allowed me to to, to love it to the point where I, I learned it and learned to love it. From that point. I guess, you know, the old saying, it's cliche, the rest is history. I, I just really enjoy when an underdog, uh, a student, uh, an athlete who is trying their hardest, they may not be the best. They're not the LeBron James of their basketball team. They're not the, you know, Raphael Devers of their baseball team. But you know what? They get out there every day and they work their butt off. And because they're not the superstar, they're not on the front page of their local newspaper. And who even knows? I mean, growing up when I played sports, my parents didn't take pictures of me. It's probably a good thing because, you know, being as terrible as I was, it'd be nightmarish to look at them. But you know, we live in a day and an age now where more pictures will be taken in the next hour, in the next hour than have been taken in the last 150 years. So when you look at that statistic, why shouldn't there be a picture of you doing what you really love to do, that you really work hard at, even though you may not be the best? What's wrong with that? So that's that's what I do. I don't mind going to the middle of nowhere. I've had kids call me, you know, students of mine, non-students of mine, kids from other cities that know me through students or know me because I'm around saying, hey, I got a game at Millworks. That's down in like... Westford messages like you you around I'm like yeah I'm I'm around I've got nothing going on on a Sunday sure I'll drive down there people are like you're crazy you're driving down there for I'm driving down there because I really like taking pictures and I got some athletes who really would love to have some pictures taken of them and they're, they're trying hard and I want them to be able to take those with them and, and and show them off a little bit and get a little bit of glory because it is blood sweat and tears you know I mean you're a football guy you love football I know that you know you keep track of that and of all sports, there's no more blood, sweat, and tears than football, right? I mean, and those kids who get in for a couple plays and don't really get to do much, when they see a picture of themselves and they were like, wow, 
thanks. That's really great. I didn't think anyone noticed I was on the field. No, I, I do notice you're on the field because I was that guy that nobody noticed was playing. Well, they did because I was bad. I'd make an error. But I mean, that's why I really enjoy it. And that's why I'll keep doing it. And how uh, how did those mentors that you had, how did that influence the way you teach kids today? I, I have to admit, Henry was tough. Um, you know, Greg was a softer shoe. And, and Greg is still alive. God love him. Um, you know, Greg's in his upper 70s now, and, and we try to get together when we can, you know, right around Thanksgiving or you, you, before we have to f for lunch. We try to do that. He's got some health, you know, ailments. It, but uh, but I'll tell you something. He, he lives local, um, and he will put a camera around his neck, and he'll walk his local neighborhood, and he'll just find something cool to take pictures of, you know. He he was the softer guy. You know, he was the guy that when I messed it up, he'd be like, yeah, but, but look how good this is. You know, he would always find a way to encourage me. It wasn't that Henry didn't encourage me, but Henry taught me um, humility, uh, you know, and I think that that was one of the those things that you had to have, especially as a young journalist, right? Or as a young photographer, anything, you know, you think you, I'm the best. And, you know, and, and again, because there was nobody else doing it, there was no competition. Of course you think you're the best, you know? Whereas if I was trying to play basketball, there was a hell of a lot of competition that showed me I wasn't very good. When it came to taking pictures, there was nobody there. So I was the best that was available. So I did it. But Henry would be that guy that would say, all right, this is good, but you know what? No. And he would take it and he would take the pictures and he would throw them across his desk and there's nothing usable there. And I'd leave like, in, almost in tears going, the guy just told me there's nothing good there. I worked my butt off. But then I realized I didn't work my butt off. They, I could have done better. And he taught me to do things that honestly, when I got my first real newspaper job, which is he helped me get for a local paper in my hometown, I got I kind of got a reputation for being a little bit out there. I'll give you a great example. I, I, I fear water. I don't like to swim. I don't like boats. I can't stand it. But there was a sailing regatta that was happening on the Mystic, uh, Mystic Lakes. And, you know, I get down there and at the time there were two other competing newspapers in my city. And, you know, I'm there and it's not that they were my competition because they were my friends, the other photographers, but they were my competition, you know? So I pull up to where they are at and they're on the shore and they're taking pictures of these sailboats going by. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? This is the worst photo I've ever taken in my life. This is boring. It's horrible. My pictures are going to look just like these two clowns. Clowns nicely, I'm talking. You know? So I said, let me move down a little bit. And I moved down a little bit and I'm still saying, this is awful. So I told the guy, I said, All right, I think I got what I need. And I left, but I didn't leave. I drove about, if you know any about the Mystic Lakes, they got these little inlets that you can park your car and walk. I drove maybe a quarter of a mile down the way, parked my car and I got out. I looked in my trunk and I always got crazy stuff in my trunk. And if you know kids, they'll tell you that. I had a change of clothes and I had sandals. I said, I never wear sandals, I said, to hell with it. So I put on a bathing suit just a pair of shorts basically. And I waded into the water chest high. And I got pictures of these boats at eye level, you know, coming across the waves. And I said to myself, no one's doing this. So when I, I get out, I'm dripping dry, you know, I'm no towel, I figured I'd drive home. I, I get to the lab and I start souping up these photos and I hand it to my editor and my editor's like, you took these? I was like, yeah. He goes, I thought you didn't like water. I said, I don't. He goes, well, what would you do? I said, because the other two knuckleheads were standing on the shore and that's the worst photo you can get. He goes, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. I just thought this would be better. And he goes, better. And he ran it front page. And then they did a whole, you know, interior spread on this sailing regatta. And I, you know, and I felt pretty good. I was probably 19, 20 years old. And, you know, and these guys were much older than I were. Granted, they were friends with them and they were sort of mentors to some degree, but they were pissed at me the next time they saw me. They go, you didn't leave. You said you were leaving. He said, when did you get these? I said, yeah, well, Sorry, I'm kind of crazy. You're nuts. It wasn't that I was nuts. I just, but I was, Henry's voice was in my head. You can do better than this. That was lazy. Standing next to those two other photographers, just chumming around because we could to get the same photo and then not worry about it. That was lazy. I was still young. I was still a bit of a go-getter and not going to be lazy. So I did it. Do I, you know, do I wish I never went into the Mystic Lakes? Yeah, because they're dirty as all hell. But, but it was definitely a, an eye opener. And that's, that was Henry's way of teaching me. It was the, you can always do better. And, you know, and then Greg's was, you're doing a good job, find the best in what you've got, which was also good because, yeah, I mean, sometimes it was boring, and you, but you had to find the best shot in what was boring because it's, it's news. And sometimes news isn't always newsworthy, mm -hmm. you know? So those two guys really, I guess, pushed me in ways that I never thought I'd be pushed. They were both great sports photographers too. And that 
that's a whole other story. That's where they really pushed me. And that's where I sort of said, okay, I got to be different. Yeah. And so what parts of that do you take when you teach other kids? So I think that what's really great about photography now, and even look at the setup you're doing right now, right? This whole idea of being able to do a podcast, you know, locally, right? Whereas before, if you didn't have a connection at WRKO, WBZ, you couldn't do stuff yeah. like this, you know? The availability of photography today and the fact that you are able to take a digital camera with you and you do not have to incur the cost of film and film processing, which is costly. And then the time that goes with that is a two or three hour, if you're doing it hourly or even two or three days, if you're looking for the cheapest route to get your photos back, you know, these kids have an opportunity to learn on their feet. You know, I, I would make mistakes with aperture and shutter speed. And I would say, oh, and Greg would help, you know, show me, well, this is what you did wrong. Prior to Greg teaching me the, the the, the extensiveness of that, the advanced part of that, I had learned my, on my own by taking action figures, Star Wars action figures, out into my back porch, setting them up on my steps, and shooting them with different aperture, different, and I would write it all down, get the pictures back and go, well, this one looks good, and this one's trash. So I kind of had the gist of it, but I had to spend a lot of time and money doing that. I mean, every roll of film was 6 or $7. You know, pr production of it was 12 or $13, 20 bucks to get back a roll of film where three pictures look good. Whereas today, you can stand up with your digital camera, take a photo and go, uh, it doesn't look good. Hit delete and take it again. Keep taking it until you get it right. And what I try to do is I try to tell these kids the best teacher is doing, right? They like go out and do it. And the best critic is yourself. So what we have at, for instance, Malden High, you haven't been an alumni there. You know, we've got some great sports there. Whether they're a winning team or not, we've got athletes, like I said, who are trying their hardest to be the best they can be. So I tell kids, look, let's get you a starter camera, whether it's something I lend them or something they can find them used that they can buy at an inexpensive price. Because the best scenario is this. You buy a starter camera, you love it, and you get better at it so that you can advance to a better camera. Mm -hmm. The worst end of it is you, you start, you don't like it, but guess what? You got a pretty good camera to take pictures of and you didn't break the bank. You bought it, you know, and you can take it on a vacation, whatever. So I encourage the kids to go and just take pictures. Go and just make film. Let's take a look at it. And then that Henry kicks in. In and the humility kicks in. You know, I, I don't want to be the all praising, this is wonderful, when it's not. I want to say, your effort is fantastic, but what can we do to make this better? What could you have done? And and that's where I push. So I guess that that whole mix of having someone who was willing to teach me the, the X's and O's of it, and then willing to bring me back down to size so that I didn't think I was the greatest when there was honestly maybe trash, if you want to call it that, but just not good enough, you know, photos sitting in front of them. And that's what I bring to the table. That's what I try. I mean, is it always successful? No. And I do I think I do I probably rub people the wrong way sometimes doing it that way? Sure. Sure. But I think that's part of it, right? So how long have you worked in Malden exactly? And what roles? Okay. So my teaching career, oof, um, as far as the position I'm in right now, this will be my 28th year. However, I've been in the building since 1992. I student taught in 1992 with Marguerite Gonzalez, who again, when it comes to photography, Henry and Greg have been my mentors. Marguerite Gonzalez was the person. Without her, I would not be half of the person I am today. One of the greatest individuals I've ever met. One of the best teachers I've ever met. She's like a sister slash mother, you name it, still to this day. Uh, and I student taught with her in 1992. And from that point forward, in um, 93, I graduated college. I wanted to stay in Malden. I liked it, even though I'm a Medford guy. You know, that's like one of those, what are you doing, right? The rivalry. And I contacted the principal, who at the time was John Wright. And I told him I had an interest in staying. And he said, well, we have an interest in keeping you. Problem was, there, there weren't any jobs. There hadn't been a hire in the English department in 14 years. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and no one was leaving. I mean, you know, they were all probably my age now, middle fifties, early fifties, middle fifties. So they still had years, you know, to go and it just wasn't any opportunity and they weren't increasing a budget. So I wanted to stay. And I said to him, what can I do to stay? He says, well, you can sign up as a substitute. And I did. And I did some substitute teaching, but then I got lucky. Well, lucky on one end, we had a teacher at the high school who, um, whose parents got sick. 
and they needed to take some time off. And they said, do you willing to fill in there? I said, sure. So as that came to an end, her, as that teacher's parents got well and she was ready to come back, we had another teacher that was going out to have surgery. And they were going to be, and they were like, well, you're just going to dovetail. So you did the first part of the, uh, so from October to January, I was in for this one teacher teaching English. And then this teacher went out and had surgery in January. And I'm from January to June for another teacher. So I did the whole year as a permanent sub in the English department. And that was 94. Well, the following year, um, I signed it to be a substitute. I'm out driving around. I think I was on assignment taking pictures for the paper, and the secretary called me and said, get your butt in here now. I thought I did something wrong. I get there, and she goes, go in and see Mr. Wright right now. Just go in and see Mr. Wright. I said, what about you? Just go in. So I go in and say, hi, Mr. Wright. Carol said you wanted to see me. He says, yeah. He says, we're going to have a position open in, um, in, in September. Are you interested? I said, yeah. He says, it's part-time. It's, you know. I said, I, I don't care. So I took it. And by December of that year, he had come up and said, we're going to offer you a full contract. So January 2nd, my full contract kicked in of 1995 which is why this will be my 28th year in my position. But as you can see, been there for a few years longer than that. So. Yeah. Makes me one of the, the longest tenured people in the building, not the oldest. Mm. I feel good about that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, one of the longest tenured in the building. So I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of changes. What about Malden initially intrigued you? Because you said you weren't from the area. So what made you want to stay? I think that what I really like about working in the city that would be my arch rival you know, growing up, and you know the Malden High School football lore with Medford, the 100 games, old, third oldest rivalry, second, some people say, right, is that when you only see one side of it, you have this very tainted view, this, if you could say, rose-colored glasses type yeah. thing, right? When I got to Malden and I saw the energy that those kids had, and I said, holy cow, this energy is the same energy we had when I was in Medford High. You ha I respected it. You know, when you're a Medford guy, you say, oh, Malden, those bums. When you're a Malden guy, oh, Medford, those bums. But then you realize that, you know what, neither one of them are bums. They're, they're just as energetic and into it as you are. And I fell in love with that. I fell in love with the idea that I could take a Malden kid, drop him in Medford High and give him two days and he would have matriculated into the crowd that he belonged with and he would have been just as intrigued and part of that. And I said that there's no difference here. Because people said to me, don't you want to go back to your hometown? Don't you?" I said, no, I don't, I don't need to. This feels like my hometown. These kids act, they respond, they, re you know, they are exactly like the kids I've met when I was in Malden, I mean Medford, and, and, and when I taught in Malden. It's just, there's no difference. I mean, short of there being a city line, and short of there being one different color, gold and white, instead of, you know, because we're both blue and white, blue and gold, I mean, that's the difference. I, I, you know, we talk an awful lot about the state of sports, especially high school sports, and you've seen it, you've lived it. We've gone from a school system that had multiple sports on their own to teams that are combined. Look at our hockey program. Back when I first started, we had a premier hockey program, ice hockey. You know, we're talking Kevin McGlinchey, who played baseball for Malden High, went on to play for the Braves, was a hockey player at, at Medford, at Malden High, I should say, and he was good. And I remember going to see that team, and, you know, I'm like, wow. And then, you know, slowly but surely, the numbers got decreased, and we, we, we've now... We're, we're mixed in with, what, three other schools now to keep a hockey team? Everett, Revere, the Vogue. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and I kind of look at that and go, oh, what a shame. You know, what a shame. So, I, I don't know. I, I, it's tough because when I see that, it, it's terrible to think. But if we ever had to, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but if we ever had to combine with another school to secure, for instance, a football program, yeah, the rivalry would probably die. But if Medford and Malden ever had to get together to play together as a team, I think they'd be unstoppable because I think they bring to the table exactly what they mirror, you know, and who better to, to play next to than someone who is you just wearing a different color uniform. I mean, we do that with our girls hockey team. Our girls hockey team combines with Medford and it's great. And if you ask anybody that sees it, that gets involved in it, they'll tell you. Yeah, we may only have five or six Malden girls and a team of Medford girls. It's got 13 or 14 kids, and the coach might be a Medford person, but but it's like a family. And and that whole rivalry goes out the door, and they just play for the love of the game and hockey. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and does that remind you of kind of why you got into sports journalism in the first place? Without a doubt. 
without a doubt. I mean, it's again, I just want kids to go out and do the best they can. And, and, and I don't mean kids isn't like, you know, just the high school kids. I, I think college kids. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of kids who, and, and you know, uh, kids that have gone through Malden High School that are now at the college ranks that I still follow, still keep in touch with, still want to go see, you know, do their best. And if I can get there, I can get there. The nice part about a lot of local high school kids is that they go to college locally and they get to play locally. And I get to go see them play. And again, I'm never going empty-handed. Camera's with me. And, you know, if I'm there, I'm going to take your picture. And I love that. I, I just think that's great. Yeah, they call me because they, they want to say hello, and they call me because they know I'll bring my camera. But you know something? That's that's fine by me. I don't feel like they call me, oh, I only want me to come to take a picture. I, I, I want to go and see you play anyway. You know, I'm probably calling you before you call me. <laughs> um, and I've done that, you know, and on multiple occasions. I'm still doing that. I'm, I'm figuring out the schedule now. Yeah. I'm looking at the schedule going, okay, you know, a kid from Medford that I know, Alex Valera, plays down at Nichols. And I'm sitting there, okay, when are they coming to play Suffolk? Because I got friends who play at Suffolk. Who went to, you know, when can I get the two of them in the same gym? And oh, if not, when can I drive down to Nichols? And I enjoy that. You know, um, not married, don't have any children of my own, not ashamed of that. I find that that gives me the time and the opportunity to go and embrace these kids like they're my own. And it's really fun. That is the reason why I think I still enjoy it is because I saw a lot of that love and desire in these young kids who don't pay play for a paycheck. If you score a hat trick, there's no bonus in your check. There's no check. You score a hat trick, you know, it's an opportunity to say, hey, I scored a hat trick. Yeah. And it's fleeting if that's all you have is the memory of it, right? But if you have photos of it, if you have video of it, if you played Little League, that home run you hit, and I never hit any, but that home run you hit that went, you know, 201 feet over the fence, slowly but surely grows as you get older. And I think when you get to the point where you get your own kids and you're signing them up for Little League, you're telling them about that home run that you hit that went 580 feet. But you don't have any pictures of it, which is why the story can grow. So I think that the idea is, look, I'm not trying to take away from the 580-foot home run, but I think it's much more impressive when you can turn to your own children, turn to your own nephews, nieces, neighbors, wherever it is that you want to encourage to continue to play sports, and you can show them pictures. Mike Lightbody, my best friend, went to Suffolk with me was a Malden guy while I was a Medford guy. And although I was a terrible baseball player, he was a phenomenal baseball player. We didn't know each other personally in high school, but you knew who he was because mm -hmm. he was an all-scholastic player. When we finally went to college and I ended up being in a class with his, would then, of course, was then girlfriend, would be his wife. I met her before I met him. The idea behind him having this allure of being a, an all-scholastic baseball player who was phenomenal, who's in the record books still to this day at Malden High School for certain records, his son and daughter, both know of his prowess as an athlete. His daughter, who is athletic, she just loves sports. Um, not that his son didn't play, but his son went in a different direction, more like yours. You know, loves the idea of working with computers and, and stuff like that. Still loves sports, but doesn't play. His daughter plays softball, and uh, she plays field hockey. And you know, and she's a phenomenal athlete. And what what is great is she'll come to my room and say, "Can I look at the pictures of my dad?" And I'll show her yearbooks that have pictures of her dad in it. And that is vital because now she wears number 15, which is her dad's number. And she gets mad when she can't get number 15. She'll she'll find a way to make sure the number equals 15. You know, I'll wear 78 if I had because it equals 15, you know. And I look at that and say, "Without pictures, it's just a story." But the pictures tell the story. You know, they re they they sort of reinvent the story. And I that's cool. That's so cool. And to know, you know, I didn't get to take those pictures of Mike, obviously, but I do have pictures of Mike, you know, but not the ones that I would take exclusively of him. They were pictures of Medford baseball when he was playing against, well, you know, all them playing against Medford. So it's cool. But I think that's, that's huge. It's a major part of why I continue to do what I do. So Yeah, I can only imagine how surreal that must feel. It, it is a great feeling. So as someone who's been in Malden for so long, you said 28 years? 28 years as a teacher. 30, you know, 30 in the system if you think about it, but yeah. Yeah, what know. have you noticed change over the years, especially oh. recently? Let's break this down by topic, <laughs> all right? Um, I think that the diversity of the city has obviously grown, and I think that is a major plus. 
I think that's one of the reasons why Malden is the hotbed right now of transiency. Where, you know, where do people want to move to? I, I was out with my brother, who's just a few years younger than me, my, my middle brother. We bumped into a friend of his who would reach small talk. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I teach. Where do you teach? I teach in Malden. I want to move to Malden. I said, really? I said, what's up with that? Oh, I just see so many great things, the food and the culture. I said, yeah, that's true. We've got that. That's changed dramatically. Not that it wasn't diverse when I first started, but the level of diversity and the embracing of it is phenomenal. I think that the government here, the mayor, I think they've done a great job of embracing the idea of, hey, look, this is what we are. Let's run with it. Why not? That's changed. Obviously, the school system has changed a lot, a lot of it for the good, some of it for the bad. Again, you don't know it's bad until you see it in action. Sports has changed. And, and you know, I, I talked to you a little bit already about how we've kind of lost a little bit of the shine on a lot of the sports that would have been premier, premier sports. I mean, we still, you know, we still have a football team, right? We still have a basketball team. We still put all these teams out there. They don't put up the numbers that obviously they used to. But then again, think about the level of competition, right? I mean, it's different now. And the level of kid that wants to compete at the next highest level is going to tailor where they go to school, how they're training, things of that nature. Years ago, Malden only had to compete really with Malden Catholic. But now we compete with the Vogue, the Charter School, St. John's Prep, Austin Prep, because these schools come cherry picking. And sometimes your best athlete who doesn't necessarily see their high school as a place to go and they're not excited about emblazoning upon their chest the name of their school. They just want to play at the next best level. They don't care what it says on the front. Yeah. We'll lose that athlete. And, and I think that we've, we've started to see that at a rate that's, that's frightening. But it's not just Malden. I mean, I, I, I'd be crazy if I said that was the truth. I mean, I coached baseball in Melrose for a few years and saw some excellent athletes there. And now the gentleman who coaches at Melrose High School, it's funny, the Boston Globe just did a story on him this past week, and they used one of my pictures. And, you know, I talked to him. He, he played for me, you know, and I, I said, Scott, what's it like? He said, it's very different. And I said, why? He said, well, remember when we, we'd, we'd go 19 and 2, and, and if we didn't go 19 and 2, we'd be embarrassed? I said, yeah. He goes, we go 13 and 7 now, and people think that's amazing. I said, what happened? He goes, a lot of our best athletes don't stick around. St. John's Prep comes a call, and, and, and if they can tell you or whoever they send to knock on your door, hey, we're going to get you into a, the best colleges. We're going to get you the best coaches to watch you. And, you know, again, put that in the kid's mind. You know, the twinkle in their eye. It's much larger, and they run. And, and you can't blame them for that. But there used to be a day, and I think this is one of the biggest changes, when you couldn't wait as a middle schooler. And again, it wasn't even middle school. It was called junior high. When as a junior high schooler, you couldn't wait to put that uniform on. I was a terrible athlete, but I couldn't wait to try out and put that uniform on. That's changed. And, and there's a lot of dynamic to that. It's not just other schools cherry-picking or kids wanting the best for themselves or parents wanting the best for themselves and sending them to a private or another school. That's, that's part of it. I think that a lot of it has changed because, well, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of distractions nowadays. I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, I had a job, but my job was very flexible at the point where if I had a, they were like, oh, you have a game? Okay, yeah, we'll take you off the schedule. Now it's like, well, you better find a way to come to work. And when it comes right down to it, kids are going gonna to go where the money is, and they, they have to. For a lot of reasons, you know, stuff is expensive and they're helping support their family at home and whatever, supporting themselves. So, you know, they've made decisions that have changed the, the landscape of how sports is. It's not as um, important to wear that name across the jersey front anymore when you can go and work. So that's changed. Yeah. How has COVID affected everything between your work Ooh. and the sports scene? COVID made teaching an entirely different animal. I, I, I cannot say, I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine and I said, I don't ever want to experience that ever again. I, I don't know how we did it. And there's a, there's a saying I have right now with the kids and it's, it's, I love your honesty, I hate your answer. 
and this is where it's derived from. I'll have uh, an upper level kid with me. And I mean, I don't mean upper level by grade. I mean, they've been with my program for a couple of years and they'll be that kid who was part of this COVID at home learning system. And I'll say, Hey, I taught this last year. You just remember how to do this and I'll get this. And, and this is why I love their honesty, but I hate their answer. Oh, Mr. Valenti. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I was probably asleep when you were teaching that. I, I, I may have been playing a video game. I said, and I'm like, you know what? I absolutely love your honesty. I hate your answer, but I love your honesty. I love the honesty because now I don't send them headlong into doing something they don't know how to do. It tells me I need to reteach it, which yeah. is fine. I'll do that. Do I wish I didn't have to? Of course. But you know what? I understand what that became and I get it. And, and I love the fact that they all tell me that rather than fake it and try to make it and then mess it up. And then I feel like I'm a failure. They feel like they're a failure. And now we're in a mess. So COVID really put a dent in the academic sort of push. Mm. But you know where else it really hurt? Socially and emotionally. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of this social emotional intrigue in schools. You know, they're hiring more adjustment counselors, more programs. And I think it's well needed. Don't get me wrong. I think that's damaging. And I think that's damage that we're going to see in the next 10 years. It's going to dovetail with a poor education that they got during that time. I, I, we joke about it and it's, it sounds horrible because you shouldn't joke about it. I said, but you know, what we're going to see the results of COVID when bridges start to collapse and buildings start to fall down. Why do I say that? Because we're going to be putting kids out there who are now full-fledged adults in their field. And they're going to have maybe lost two or three years of education that would have prevented the bridge from collapsing yeah. or the building from falling down. And, and we're going to say, why is this happening? We're going to go, well, back in COVID, these kids weren't educated. You know, they, they, they kind of pushed them along. And then we're also going to see it in the level of it. And you can look up the data. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you've seen it in the level of kids that are suffering from depression. Just read a stat the other day. This is the highest level, highest level for, for teenagers to ever, ever in the history of to be on antidepressant medication. That's a shame. Where does it come from? When you really sit down and talk to these kids, it's that 20 months that they sat in their rooms, sat at home. I, I had one parent who was excellent, and I, I have her son still. He's a, a, one of our top basketball players at our school. I met with her online for a parent meeting one day. She was concerned over her son's grade. I said, well, let's let's do a Zoom meeting. We do Google, but let's do a Zoom meeting. We'll talk. And she said, you know, Mr. Valenti, whenever I can, I, I kind of let him just go down the park by himself just to shoot some hoops, even if he's just by himself. She was, and I've had the police come to my house and say, you know, you really shouldn't, he shouldn't be down there. And she says, but that's all he's got. If I'm going to keep him cooped up in this room all day, he's just not going to progress in as a person. It wasn't even athletically. It was as a person. I, I, I applauded her for that. You know, she took a risk, but she also knew that there wasn't going to be anybody else down there. And the park was legitimately, she could open her front door and call his name and he could hear her. That's how close it was. So she could see him. And he was, you know, he was a teenager. He was 15, 16 years old. He can handle himself. And he knew, he was smart enough to know. But I think that if every parent slash guardian had had that fortitude to say, okay, I get it, but there's got to be some release. You can't just sit in your room and play COD all day. You know, you can't just, you know, be on Discord all night. You got, you, we got to get you that level of, okay, you got to be with people or you got to experience what it is you do and love to do. That was important. But, but COVID, man, what else is there to really say other than it's just a massive dent that we're going to see the repercussions of down the road. I mean, it's terrible that we know that we're all going to suffer that at some point in our lives. You know, it's not always the best of times. The sad part about it is kids who normally are able to bounce those ideas off of, Friends, coaches, faculty. I mean, you know, growing up, you don't always want to tell mom and dad everything. I mean, as much as you feel like you should be able to, there's that level of expectation and you don't want, so you want to be able to talk to your friend. You want to be able to bounce it, up, bounce it off a teacher, or the librarian who you get along with really well. Your coach, they didn't have that. They never had that for two years, for yeah. almost, almost two years straight. Man, if I didn't have people like Henry Salvatella and Greg Myroncheck at that age to bounce ideas off of and just talk to, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. I'd be locked up in some insane asylum somewhere, you know? I mean, that really, that, that, as you said, it made me the person I am today. It allows me to model who I am after those people that I respected and that taught me because they, they didn't have, kids didn't have that. 
uh, adults didn't have that. You know, I mean, a lot of people just didn't have that. And it's affected a lot of people. So, yeah, COVID affected teaching. It affected sports. It is, in, in a sad way, they did everything they could to keep it going. Charlie Connerfree at Malden High was a huge advocate of saying, we're going to get these kids playing. We're going to get them back out there. We're going to do everything we can. And he, you know, he combined with Bob Maloney over in Medford, who's their athletic director, who was a phenomenal guy. And it, they just said, we're going to find, even if we have to play each other 12 times, it, we're going to do it. But of course, they, they did everything they could. They circumvented COVID when they could, but they also, uh, you know, they listened. You had to respect it. If there was a COVID case, that's it. Games were canceled. I mean, we went two weeks where they just canceled everything and said, we'll try to make them up at the end. Was it depressing? Absolutely. Were the kids upset? Absolutely. But you know what the saving grace was? But we're going to play in two weeks. They needed that. When COVID was happening, and you remember, they never told us where the finish line was. Mm. Remember, it was all gonna, we're going to be out for two weeks. Two weeks became four. Four weeks became two months. Class of 2020 still hasn't had a prom. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, no big deal. No, I think that's a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. That's a rite of passage. That's something that kids, they look forward to. And to have it taken away from you without any idea that down the road it's going to happen, that was devastating. What sports, they said, no, we're going to play. And then you remember they switched the falls. It, remember, fall one and fall two. Yeah. And fall two took place during the spring. You know, it's <laughs> like, But it was the idea that we're going to find a way to get you guys and girls what you missed yeah. because it's that important. So, yeah, COVID was tough. I, you know, I, I, we're not out of it yet. However, are we in a much better place? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Awesome. So... We're reaching the end of our time here. Is there anything I haven't touched upon that you'd love to talk about? This is your chance. No, that's um. This is great. Thank you. Uh, this has been awesome. I, I'm so happy to do this, uh, and I'm up for it anytime you'd like to have me on. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you.